You're listening to Unjiggered, a bartender podcast where we interview highly successful bartenders about their careers, lives, and the passion of bartending. This week we caught up with Martin Siska, the director of bars for Rosewood Hotel London. We talk about moving to Barcelona to relearn how to stir a martini, then opening Grand Martini in London, as well as his new theatre menu in Scarf's Bar. With this podcast, we want to peel back the mask and discover just how the greats became the greats. So sit back and enjoy. Uh, hey, uh, my name is Martin Siska. I'm originally from Slovakia and currently work as a bars director in Rosewood, London and uh, currently ranks Scars Bar. Thank you very much for coming over. I hope you have the chance to enjoy Singapore a little bit. Oh, it's amazing. It's uh, For me, it's first time and... Uh, it's been on my list for a really, really long time and uh, it just meet all the expectation. Actually, I would say even exceeded since the arrival until, you know, I mean, it's just beautiful city and the bar community and the level of, of the bartending is just is amazing. Have you had a chance uh, to be somewhere else in Southeast Asia? Because you look quite tanned. You said you were <laughs> in the Philippines? Yeah, I mean, one, one week before, before this trip, I went to Philippines, but I was just holiday. I was two weeks, uh, spent a bit of traveling around, and uh, I always like to come for the holidays to Asian countries. You know, it's very close to me, uh, the culture, food, and everything. And also, I like a little bit of surfing. And uh, in Philippines, there is a beautiful island called Shargao. And I spent there seven days just riding motorbike and uh, try to surf small waves. And it's just a lot of fun. How did you get into surfing? Because uh, so, wh- where do you come from? First of all, uh, you see, uh, uh, in Slovakia we don't really have a sea <laughs> exactly. at all, you know. <laughs> so, uh, and especially I'm from a small city in the north Slovakia, and uh, we have a lot of mountains. I mean, the city surrounding by mountains. So I've been skiing and ice skating from pretty much like age four. Uh, but what is funny? First time I see the seaside, I was. 18, 19, something like that, I really didn't really see the seaside. And th- I'm talking about that was just English seaside, you know, mm-hmm. when, I, when I came to London and I see first time the Brighton, so that I'm not considered like, you know, the proper beach side of it. But, uh, you know, I've been, first time I went, I think it was in Portugal, like 10 years ago, and I've seen those uh, kids surfing there. Uh, uh, it was close to Lisboa, Guincho Beach, and I was like, I, I love it, I would like to try it. And trust me, that's the most difficult thing I ever, a sport I ever done. It's just so challenging. And I get wiped out. I couldn't even stand up on the wave. And then I said, you know, but I never give up, you know, and always where I go for holiday, I try to, to get to some destination where some waves. But, you know, when you go just twice a year, uh, you always forget what you practiced before, you know. And uh, But I love it. It's an amazing sport. And uh, I would like, to, you know, obviously to keep going until become better and better, you know. Is it similar to snowboarding or skiing? or anything It's like actually quite different. Because I do skateboarding. I was doing a lot of sports, you know. And I, I was thinking, okay, I'm, I was doing longboard, normal skateboard. I think should be really fine regarding the balance. No, not at all. It's all about the paddling, find the balance, you know, and uh, it's just tough. You know, people say, okay, if you if you swim well and you know how to ride the skateboard, it should be easier. Not at all, actually, not at all. I was surprised as well that how challenging is it. It's quite a tough sport. So let's start to talk a little bit about your career. Uh, you manage a very, very cool bar, probably one of my favorite bars in London. How did you get there? So when did you start working in hospitality? Uh, in hospitality, I think... When I finished the school, I was around 18. I knew that I need to go somewhere. I want to travel the world. I want to see the different cultures. I wanted to learn English as well because at that time I didn't speak English. So I got the opportunity to come to England. It was actually through the agency. 
It was first first experience was in uh, Liverpool in a chocolate factory. Apparently, that's what the agency said. It's actually never never really happened. There was no ch- uh, chocolate factory. They just took money from us, and uh, uh, it was pretty tough time because so they uh, scammed you basically. They scammed us. Yeah, it was no three, way. It was, yeah, it was three of us, three stupid guys coming from uh, Slovakia, from small city, and uh, it was all sounds too good to just go <laughs> to work in chocolate factory you don't need to speak english anything you come there you know you got the accommodation when you share one room uh, and they take all your money and there is no job so uh, for last money literally in a, like 70 quid in a pocket uh, we went uh, all three of us to london and uh, we stay in some hostel and literally on the last day like okay this is this is our last money i'm talking about spending like two three pounds per day for the food yeah it was tough time and we found the job as a, in housekeeping uh, cleaning the rooms in a three-star hotel for uh, i think it was like 600 pounds a month you know so wow it was kind of challenging but uh, you know we pick up quickly you know was, we were quite uh, hard-working people there and uh, in a couple of months i learned a little bit of english and i got the job as a as a bar back uh and that was after three months i was promoted to the bartender and i st- started working for the dnd company uh it was french restaurant called uh, le pont de la tour by tower bridge i stayed there i i, I believe like one year and uh, that's where the really passion started because until then it was just a job you know like mm-hmm. survive to mm-hmm. get money uh, to pay your accommodation and t- to buy clothes you know and just generally surviving there was no really passion for hospitality in that time but after after this restaurant i was keep going changing the bars i was working in a hash bar where i met uh, boris ivan who's uh, another guy from slovakia a good friend and uh, he he really you know teach me a lot of things since then i stayed there like one year with him and then i got the opportunity to go to the donovan bar in brown's hotel and that was the place where i stayed the most i was there five years start as a bartender and after one year i was promoted to head bartender stayed there for year four years as head bartender it's a really cool hotel in a in a mayfair by a Roccoforte family so it's one of those family hotels it's one of the actually oldest hotel in uh, in london which i didn't know opened in 1837 And that was a cool experience, you know. It was in a Mayfair, so first time really proper five-star hotel experience. And then since then, uh, it was so good that I didn't really want to move. But I know once you want to grow, you need to leave your comfort zone. Mm-hmm. And that's when the opportunity came from uh, Javier de las Muelas to join Dry Martini team in Barcelona and to open the first Dry Martini actually in London. That was That was the project. And that was my first manager experience, you know, so I started as a bar manager there. So I spent four or five months in Barcelona working with guys there. I was amazing experience. Didn't speak any word Spanish. So sometimes when you end up in the shift, you know, with uh, with three head bartenders who are over 60 years old, they don't speak really English, you know, it's a bit challenging, you know, but it was really good experience. And to see and to work in Dry Martini was, uh, I think it was good career choice as well to get to the management and open something from the scratch. So then we opened the bar in, uh, it was in Melia Hotel in London, which is close to Great Portland Street, uh, where I built my team. Actually, we started everything from scratch. There was nothing. It was just before it was some pub sort of style sport bar. And I stayed there for one year. And then afterwards, yeah, that, that big opportunity came to go to join Scars Bar. So let's uh, go back to Dry Martini. The place is huge, right? The one in the, in London. Yeah. The thing, what I think the main challenge was it, it was in four-star hotel. 
and it was on the great Portland uh, side. It's, that area is really quiet, you know. I mean, the location, it's all about the location, and this location was extremely challenging from the beginning, you know. And also to work for two companies in the same time, which is Melia and Dry Martini, because the Dry Martini was external sort of company, you know, and they have a contract with them to build the bar in a hotel. So it's like you end up like the ping pong ball between those uh, those two companies. One wants to do this, the other one wants to do do, do that, you know. But I learn, you know, usually you learn on those tough situations a lot, you know. I mean, the team, what I built there, it was just one of my best teams and some of the guys still work in me until now. Uh, I, when I left Dry Martini, four or five guys uh, uh, came with me to the Scars Bar. Now still I have one of those, and the other one they move around, like Simone now is working in Jerry Thomas project, you know, uh, Oreste, another Italian guy will uh, move now to San Francisco for Rosewood. He works as a manager there, you know, so it's just good when you got those loyal guys and uh, you know you can rely on them so uh, when I started in SCAS it was really important for me to build as well my team you know I would I was obviously there was a current team but as I said you know uh, you need some people who you know and you've been working with them before. So you worked in um, Barcelona with Martini that is an institution at the moment is it I mean what Martini number did they reach? Because they have this martini counter, right? So Ooh, every martini I, they sell. That was over 1,200,000 I mean that was that was actually cool things what I really like and you got even your certificate you know it's it's just for tourists and for the people who never been in dry martini it's like to go to martinery museum wooden decoration you have this station built just for the martinis so when the dry martini opened before obviously Javier de, de las Muelas took over it was just place where we said just dry martinis nothing else and this counter beautiful counter was built it was like to be in a theater you know and then you see those guys in white jacket ma- making the dry martinis they have special way how to steer it you know which is very different from the way how we were steering martinis in london or from the japanese style it's it's sort of a ritual what they have and uh, i remember when i started and uh, as i said i didn't speak really uh, spanish and how i say guys you need to teach him how to steer i was like i'm talking about i've been steering martins for past <laughs> you know <I> seven <laughs> eight years before but i understand it's just the way it's just the ritual bringing up and down the spoon making the noise you know like the classical steer you know like uh, zero Japan- noise yeah. zero noise japanese quickly ice block beautiful uh, uh this one was very different way also uh, in in Spain, they don't using uh, jiggers and uh, and pourers. So basically, the bottle you have already like sort of. Ah, oh, yeah, this uh, thing. So and that was the technique when you uh, the, the another ritual was taking two bottles in same time and basically going up and down and uh, trying to pour from it. So yeah, you need to practice this. It looks easy when you see someone guy who've done like two hundred thousand martinis there, but when you do it, it, it takes a bit of practice, you know. But I love it, you know. It's all about the rituals and bring those small elements, you know. So how old uh, is the bar itself Who, to be honest i i don't want to lie or say something but i believe it's definitely over 30 years that's crazy it's a standalone bar yeah it's unbelievable and now obviously they're serving modern cocktails eccentric cocktails you know so it's really modern and you have together you have dry martini and then you have a, like academia sort of where it, it's open a couple of days a week and there's a lot of master classes going and plus they have a restaurant restaurant is really good really good really i met a lot of i mean experienced chefs there some of those guys they were working with the roca brothers and people like that so they have really experience so the food side is really interesting as well it's not probably no dry martini for it but the restaurant is uh is really good how Um, did you get this job uh it was one of my 
friend, uh, common friends what I have, is Lorenzo. Uh, he he was working already for Dry Martin. He was before working in uh, in Landsborough. So uh, that's I know uh, that's I know him from. And uh, yeah, I think somehow I don't remember exactly how was it, but I got approached that if it would be interesting to join this project and uh, to to be bar manager. I don't imagine I was a head bartender there, no really manager experience yet, and no with opening. I was like, I mean, you know, I always was like when the opportunity knock on the door just take it you know and then you learn how to do it basically that's how i am until now uh but i was scared i was scared to leave london comfort zone my family what i have in donovan bar it was just amazing team and uh but even my boss uh giovanni giovanni casino who was my bar manager there in donovan bar he said just do it you know if you want to become a bar manager and go that direction you need to go from your comfort zone and until then i was working just behind the bar a bit floor, obviously hosting, mm-hmm. but you know, I mean, it was just big jump for me and as well leave the London. I know that I come back to London, it's just for like a couple of months, but you know, obviously you, you get scared, but I took it. I didn't have any friends there, apart obviously Lorenzo and a few guys who were there, and but they really uh, make me feel welcome. So what were the differences in between Spain and the UK in terms of like how, because you opened the same bar, theoretically speaking, right? Mm-hmm. But I'm sure you had to adapt uh, the product a little it, bit. It was very different because uh, Javier uh, and Dry Martin have a lot of bars around uh, around the world or had, you know, they were in that time, I think, they were like seven. So he worked with different hotels. He got some open bar with four seasons. In, in uh, There is few, a lot of with Melia. I think that was second or third one with Melia hotels. So he was positioning himself as well as a consultant and, uh, and pushing the Dry Martin projects around the world. But it's very difficult and different to implement same concept in some different countries. And also the quality, you know, there is, I know they have one dry martini in some uh, Palma de Mallorca, but it's very different experience, you know, like if you go to Barcelona, the Barcelona is the main one and always will be. And uh, if you go to other ones, the experience, even if you want to, you know, to have same uniform, same style, you know, mixing glasses, everything try to be same, it's just not that easy to implement the same concept. And that was the case of London as well. Uh, some of the rituals, like uh, they bring in the cocktails by the silver plates one by one, it was just sometimes not possible. No using the jiggers and measures in London. You know, I mean, you got the law, you got the, uh, you got the licenses. You can't just pour 100 milliliters of a gin and tonic. You need to control your cost. In Spain, uh, I mean, you know how is that what the gin and tonic? You got three quarters of gin and then dash of tonic. Uh, no one really look into the cost that much or, or they have good prices there. But in London, everything is about the cost to be profitable mm-hmm. and also to be consistent. Yeah, because you know? rents are like mega high as well. Exactly. You know, so uh, that was the small things. We even the argue like, no, we need to use jiggers and we need to use the pourers. Or even if you don't want to use pourers, it's fine. We, we could use just the, to put it from the bottle, but it's important to keep and measure the things, you know. And also, as I said, you have the licenses and you want to be consistent. But as I said, it's Spanish company, uh, Spanish hotel as well. You have a lot of guests who were coming and expecting those half glass of jeans there, you know. So it was something, it was challenging to open. And also the cocktail culture in Melia was not really big. So sometimes we had the, the guests coming literally just for the beer, you know, for small beer and some tapas. And uh was even difficult to do and sell the cocktails as we wanted. And it was not that busy as well. But as I said, when something goes wrong, you know, you learn more than something goes right. And all those challenges put you to, to think about it. Do changes in the team, you know, add up your prep, changing the menu slightly, changing the prices. Just try to find out what the guest expectation is there. And uh, it was 
very good experience and it taught me a lot. I think without that, I wouldn't be able to go to SCARS and uh, become bar manager there, you know, without that experience. How long have you worked uh, in Dramartini for? Together, all in total was one and a half year, so mm-hmm. like four or five months in Barcelona. And I was not really working in a bar in Barcelona, you know, I was working more like in office. So it was office job, you know, looking after, you know, try to create something from the scratch. And I was working on this project with uh, Lorenzo as well, who was head bartender. Uh, now he get uh, his own bar, just still need to visit. Uh, uh, so if you're listening, Lorenzo, I'm coming soon. And uh, What is his bar? He's, to be honest, I haven't been there, but I know it's not in the center. It's really small bar. He opened with two friends. I think it's three of them. It's in Barcelona. In Barcelona. Okay. In Barcelona. And uh, yeah, they, you know how is it? Even you have something yours, you slowly want to as well do your things. And uh, he's been with Dry Martin for a long time as well. I think he was there like four or five years working for them. And yeah. So let's talk about Scarves Bar. Jazz Bar, Rosewood Hotel, beautiful bar, incredible spirit selection. When did you join the team? Like, I think the bar was already like a year old, was it? Uh, I, now the bar, it's been five years since been open. And it's going to be three years in this August, basically. So, yeah, two, two years and a bit. Yeah, two okay. years and a bit. Almost three years now. I mean, what we are in uh, now, May, June. Yeah, in two months, I will be three three years there. Uh, it was no easy start. You know, there's a lot of transition, a lot of changing in the management in general, in all F&B. Outlets are pretty much all age of this. were just new. It was new F&B director who started three months uh, before me, Scott Wallen. I mean, this guy was pushy, Australian guy, but he knows what he wants. And he was able to take everything what is in you to develop you and put those departments like there is Hobart Dining, Brasserie and uh, Gin Bar, which works amazingly. Basically, he, he tried to... Uh, change the concepts and establish like what is our DNA what what is it what we good in you know so scars bar amazing collection of the whiskies over 450 whiskies uh, generally good collection of cocktails but it was something missing there not many people know about us outside I would say it was probably the people who worked in London I recognized and knew there is a scars bar or like they call it Scarface bar before because people really didn't even know how to pronounce it or why it was called scars bar. You know, obviously bar is called after Gerald Scarves, who is a famous artist and caricaturist. That's why when you walk in a bar, you can see those uh, caricatures on the wall. And, and that was the f- first when I seen it, I was like, this bar is beautiful. The concept and everything. And when it comes to first menu, we were discussing what would be our concept, what would be good in it, and what, what should we do, you know, looking into all possibilities. And then you just look in front of you, I was like, we have a caricatures. I don't know any bars have a caricatures in, in the way how we do, you know. So we try to connect it somehow to our cocktails and to our concept. I was like, yeah, but how, how are we going to do it? I was like, you have a caricature and what is the connection? That actually, when you start doing the researches and the researches, you find there is a lot of connections between the personalities, between, it's, it's art, they use the color, they use the fun, you know. So uh, we, we dig into the histories. The first menu was like a bit gimmicky, you know, it was our first menu. So we just literally try to, let's say, you pick up the caricatures and you done the research is like on the likes, dislikes, what, what, where is from that, cari- uh, that personality, you know, I don't want to call it caricatures, you know, like let's, let's say Oliver Twist, okay. I mean, anyone who reads Oliver Twist, you know, know the story. So you try, you try to pick up from what you know 
you know, and then put it somehow in a cocktails ingredient, serve the way how we were serving, like from the poor bowl when, you know, the, the you, you was drinking your porridge, you know, because you didn't have really money in back in time on, on, on the story and uh, it just try to connect it to the ingredients as well and, uh, and the cocktails. And then second menu was still connected to caricatures. It was basically the British uh, history from 2000 to 2018. So we have 18 cocktails. And every year we done uh, research what's happened in a British history on that year to try to be funny in the same time, you know. And uh, why British? Because obviously sense of, uh, sense of place is a motto of the Rosewood around the world. So uh, obviously Rosewood London is in, uh, uh, in London base, so it's, it's very British. Even when you walk in, you can see these British Scottish tartan uniforms and a whiskey collection to be tr- sort of gentleman clubs bar. In a hotel, you try to be as British possible. Uh, so we, that menu idea was to have these caricatures and a uh, history and it works well, you know, I don't know if you see the menu, what we have before in the purple book. Yeah, you know? of course I did, yeah. And that was, I think, first time when the people start noticing us uh, a little bit. We, we, I start doing more and more uh, the guest shift as well uh, around the world, try to do some seminars, try to present and push Scars Bar to put it a little bit on that cocktail map, you know. It's not easy position the bar, you know, and to, to get known. And that's where this everything started, you know, and uh, we just launched now uh, one half month ago, our last menu, I mean, our third menu. And uh, again, it's uh, inspired by music genres because music uh, is very close to us and close to people. I think there is no person who will tell you, I don't like a music. Everyone likes some sort of music. And also music connects to you, the, your memories, the emotions, you know, when you sometimes, how many times you hear some song and you're like, well, I remember that was, you know, time when I was in back or I don't know you have some some good memories in it so we try to connect to the styles we have nine different genres and from each different genre of music we have a, a one a signature caricature from Gerald Scar you know and uh, I think the menu itself it's look like you know you have this sort of theater book when you're pulling the sides and uh, the cocktails coming through with the caricatures coming on the stage Fortunately, I don't, I don't have now one with me, so it would be nice to actually show you. Yeah, no, uh, but like I encourage all of you who are listening to this to actually check it out. It's quite easy to find online. Uh, it's Carl's Bar at the Rosewood Hotel in London. So like it's a small stage and then you pull yeah, exactly. the pull cocktails out yeah. and, and the caricature comes out, right? It's very entertaining. You know, I mean, <laughs> when we launched it, we were like... Uh, Okay, let's. What? How? What should be the menu look like? You know, I mean, you want to uh, build the menu or create the menu that everyone wants to take picture of. Uh, everyone wants to play with it. You know, uh, and obviously, we're living in uh, in the social media eras. Everyone wants to post it on Instagram. It's it's a part of it. Experience. People share it. You know, and that was the idea. It's like let's ma- let's make it as playful possible. Uh, obviously, on the other side, when you turn the menu, you have all cocktails in, in basically in the background. So if you don't really want to play, okay, you know, some businessmen yeah. coming for the meetings, I was like, look, I don't want to play with you. your menu. I just want to order the drink. So it's really clear. You just turn the menu and you have, you know, basically table with all cocktails and everything is there on one page. Because that's what we noticed from the last menu, because it was the book, you know, it's quite a lot of pages to go through and a lot of reading, which was good. If you if you have the time, you want to enjoy, you, you want to read these stories and people were doing but sometimes it was kind of difficult for people mm-hmm. to go through. Mm. So you always learn from the from the experience what you done before. So let's make it playful, but it need to be easy. Imagine we we open four o'clock until midnight, and uh, 
on Thursday, Friday, Saturdays, we do over 500 covers. So it's really high volume, busy bar. So you need to adapt as well menu to your service. You know, it needs to be easy to sell, but also, you know, to have all those elements of entertainment is, is important there. Do you guys have a standing policy? Do you allow people to stand? We do. We do, actually. <laughs> we have the piano area. Sometimes there is like 20, 30 people standing around and just waiting for the table. It is very popular bar. I would say becoming destination bar. And most of our guests actually come from outside. No hotel guests, which that's what we wanted to have. Sometimes it's challenging to meet the expectation of hotel guests because they're coming from the rooms and expecting there will be empty table waiting for. Yeah, but uh, it's always for, difficult. Yeah. You know how is the hotel bars in uh, in London? You spend some time there. It's uh, hotel bars are really popular and uh, mostly for uh, as well people from outside. Uh, so it's just somewhere to meet that expectation and accommodate the in-house guests who staying in a hotel, paying pirates for the for the rooms, uh, and obviously they want to come for cocktails and have a good experience. Yeah, it's one of the challenges that you have in hotel bars, right? Where especially five-star hotels, where you have people who pay five, six thousand pounds a night, they want to come downstairs for a drink, and you don't have a table for them, which yeah. is a very awkward position to find yourself in. So how was the menu perceived? Because you mentioned that you have a lot of business crowd inside. So did it, was it perceived well by your guests? I mean, so far, uh, I would say it's outstanding, amazing feedbacks from all the guests. Not obviously, we have different types of guests in the whole, we are based in Holborn area. I mean, close to Covent Garden. Uh, so a lot of uh, offices around are lawyers, you know, just office people and usually you can see the crowd coming five six o'clock they finish everyone comes to the bar you know so that's a majority of the people but more and more people from the industry coming so obviously you want to create something for everyone to be interesting enough for the industry crowd and people but also meet the expectation of the just guests who loves the cocktails so try to find the balance and as well choose the cocktails the techniques the way how, how it looks it was very important for us, you know. And as I said, when you, I've been almost three years now, so we see what cocktails works. And it's funny thing, but uh, usually it's the most lightest drinks on the menu. So that we can see that is culture different in some different countries when, uh, you know, uh, let's say, when you go to America from States, it's still you get these boozy, sweety drinks, you know, and that's what it sells. So when you do something light or low ABV drinks like they are in the trends now, <laughs> they want some shot on the side pretty much, you know. But I, <laughs> uh, like I've done some cash in, 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 in Kentucky in, in December, actually. Yeah, Kentucky, like Kentucky is like, <laughs> So I was close to Louisville, small city, you know, and uh, I was doing cash and my drinks were kind of all, all based uh, it was was there with the uh, Maker's Mark guys you know creating actually a private select uh, barrel for, for our menu so we have one cocktail with our own whiskey mm. uh, oh, cool. corporation which is which is good good, good actually storytelling as well and it's clarified milk punch you know so it works well and <laughs> obviously when you put on the menu your flavors like uh, marshmallow uh, nuts and uh, you know cola uh, it's just the flavor, like it's not actually marshmallow, it's marshmallow root cola, it's cola nuts, it's not Coca-Cola. And then you pull clear drink in front of the people like, what the hell are you, you expecting? Is milk punch should be like marshmallows, chocolate, you know, white drink. Uh, so the culture of things is very different. You know, here, I think here in Singapore and in generally Asia, well, the level is really high. And uh, I see, I taste some drinks, you know, I've been around in four or five different bars so far. It's very similar to London. I mean, I would say the same same level. I think it's 
well, for past five years, you can see how it's how it's massively growing. Yeah. You know, it's it's been growing like crazy, and I think that there's a that there's more and more bars opening, and it's cool to see. You know, like the the scene here is is really developing at a mm. very very fast pace. So even faster than London, because I think that. I mean, London has always progressed, right? But I mean, since I was there in from 2008 onwards. So, yeah. and you've seen like this steady progression, right? Where more bars would open, cooler concepts. But it was always like steady. Well, here I think we went from zero to hero in in in, in five yeah, years sure or so. Time, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's great, and uh, I can see a lot of hotel bars as well. Yeah, it's picking really up as thing. well because, uh, from what I understood here, that we're starting to have the same problems with rent that you have in London. You mm -hmm. know, like, but the problem is that the city is only that big and it will not get bigger. So I think uh, a lot of properties have been priced out. Just yeah, have to it's close. It's a lot of challenging, yeah. Yeah. So as an independent bar here, I think that there are a lot of challenges that we don't see. That's why usually hotel bars come to bridge this gap so they can give more stability to, right. to bars. But it's the same in London, yeah. right? You know? Yeah, to be honest, I mean, we've been, we, Scar's Bar is main bar, but we have a gin bar, which is in pa a part of Hobart Dining in a brasserie. We have a terrace. Uh, two pop-ups, uh, one winter, one summer. So we always uh, incorporate with some brands and pull some pop-up for a couple of months, like three, four months. That's cool. And it's really cool. And uh, we're lucky to have uh, this sort of courtyard. I think yeah, there's not many hotels got this courtyard. Small courtyard, small yeah. Small courtyard, but mm. it's amazing. I mean, uh, you know, especially in us, we have the, we have the part where is the parking slot, but also this terrace where you can do cool things. And uh, yeah, in the la a couple of months ago, I mean, well, half a year ago, we opened as well another bar in the middle room, which is called Champagne Bar and uh, slowly that one picking up as well so you know Mirror Room is famous for afternoon teas uh, so we tried to have uh, there was never bar really and we just put small project open small bar and uh, you can see it's slowly growing there we will be do doing new menu there as well on the end of summer uh, just a few bars to play around with you know <laughs> that's cool no? yeah. uh, you mentioned that you have a gin bar in the hotel but Scarves Bar as well has a huge gin selection yeah, I mean, in Scars Bar, we cut it slightly down. Uh, we had over 100. Now I think we have around 60. Okay. But the gin bar got over 650. Jeans. Wow. How so, do you stock take that? Well, I don't do stock take that. <laughs> yeah. a, the guy is there, you know, as I said, you know, I, I don't get involved in operation. I, <laughs> I don't I get involved in stock takes. In stock takes, much that, but it's uh, challenging. Obviously, you know, if you get collection like that, you don't sell all 650 jeans, you know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, it's moving, let's say the top 20, 30 is moving really, and then time to time this one, but it takes time. Even in scars, but stock take, it takes about 10 hours. It's massive just to go through the whiskeys. Yeah, the whiskey selection you guys have there. Like, how do you come up with that? I mean, look, uh, that concept was done before I joined the team. Uh, when they opened, that was the concept where I think we really want to have good collection of whiskeys. Mm -hmm. And again, that comes to sense of place, you know, to uh, to be British, Scottish. And the collection is amazing. And uh, I wish to have bigger cabinet because there is not even one centimeter, you know. When I want to Seriously, put... Seriously, because that's a huge cabinet. Yeah, man. it's packed. And uh, some of the bottles, actually, we have some bottles with been able to even display uh, so usually when i want to put some new whiskey there i need to think about okay i need to probably take one out okay. so uh, we try to have the ones which we have good relationship or they're selling or they're interesting for the guest point of view but some of them just for the display obviously as well uh but yeah they're rotating you know what well, it's not just they're not getting dusty there uh -huh. uh, so, so we, they we do sell yeah we move uh, they move and uh, the gin-wise, that's why we cut it slightly down because if we have gin concept in other bar, it's not going to stock too many. I think the 60 is still quite big. It's quite know, big, I mean, yeah. yeah. I think the sweet spot is around 25, 30. Yeah. I that's, think 60 is more, more than, than enough. enough yeah. That's more than enough, yeah. 
So do, do you sell uh, a lot of, like, what, what's your sales? No, no, I wouldn't call it sales mix, but what do you sell most of? Is it? It's, you know what? It's like cocktails. Mm-hmm. And what we notice for the last two years, it used to be always the classic cocktails versus the signature cocktails. Now I look at actually just a couple of weeks on the sales mix since we opened, uh, since we launched a new menu. And I was surprised because I can see the top five sellers are actually signature cocktails. It was always like espresso martini, number uh, Negroni, old yeah, fashioned. This is how always the best three selling classic cocktail is old fashioned Negroni and uh, espresso martini. Oh, we are in London, people like those uh, boozy drinks, especially espresso martinis, you know, in the late evenings. Yeah, you know, there, is going, no bar, yeah. there is no bar who wouldn't have this as a, one of the top selling uh, cocktails but i was surprised because i could see now the that classic moves a bit and uh the best selling drinks are actually the signature cocktails from the new menu so that's again proves that you know when you do a lot of analysis and see what the people drinking what what sort of drinks and style uh have it so yeah and and the lightest style of drink we have always around five six whiskey cocktails on the menu but for last last three years but what is important, we try to uh, play with the whiskey in the way, like to introduce it to people who no, are not really whiskey drinkers, you know, and that's best way is through the cocktails. Mm-hmm. With something light, perhaps something fruity. Now even then we have uh, today's guest shift in a uh, origin bar here, you know, and uh, we have one drink on the menu, which is strange combination of the whiskey with watermelon, water, blueberries, beer of Campari. It's very light drink, you know, and the combination you wouldn't really think about like whiskey. And a lot of ladies actually who doesn't even like whiskey, where where go for it, you know, mm-hmm. because of the combination watermelon blueberries. Uh-huh. It just depends how you how you sell that whiskey drinks, and it moves as well. If you want to sell something, uh, now we put back after two years one cognac drink because the cognac category was getting a little bit rusty there, to be honest, and. Uh, Basically, we are trying to say we don't really sell much cognacs in our bars. You know, it's not that one. Yeah. In Mayfair, it's easy to sell the cognacs and the expensive stuff as well. It depends where. But the category for the cognac, even the VSOP, the standard ones, was not really moving. We created uh, our seasonal sort of crusta style of drink, and uh, that one become one of the best-selling cocktails. So again, if you want to get something on a menu and to sell it, it's the best way is to do it to the cocktails, mm-hmm. you know? Have you... You mentioned that... The- Cognac category is not moving too much, and I'm actually quite worried about it because I've noticed that, yes, there is a super premium market, but unless China picks up the tab, I think at this stage, yeah, it will be very difficult. One, yeah. yeah, Do you have other categories that you see are dying off a little bit? Uh, I wouldn't say really dying off, but I mean, look, what I see actually, I would, I would maybe another way around, what I notice what is picking up as well, quite a lot of sherries, you know, sherries in the drinks are really amazing. But another way around, I think the I think the cognac was the category which was obviously the ports doesn't really sell you know much. Uh, I think the cognac was the one. It's a lot of people go for whiskeys, you know, especially in a bar. But in generally, I think whiskey are was always in its sort of fashion, you know, and mm-hmm. uh, you can use it nicely in a cocktails, but also with good sipping. And I don't understand why the cognac was behind because I love cognac. You I love know, it too. Big, it's a beautiful big, liquid. Yeah. And it's not, I mean, if you look at it back in history, uh, how many classic cocktails we have with uh, cognac, the boozy one, like, you know, Sazerac, Vucare, uh, Crustas, you know. There is a lot of cocktails which have been created uh, before, but then certain time it starts. I don't see it on many menus anymore, and that's why we wanted to bring mm-hmm. it back, and uh, we bring it back to our seasonal crusta where we actually get inspired by Asian flavors. Why? Because it's go to the jazz category, 
and just uh, caricature was Louis Armstrong. Louis Armstrong was big fan of Asian food. Okay. So you see, this is the connection uh-huh, I'm talking uh-huh. about. So it's not just caricature. Okay, wh- wh- why we choose the jazz? You know, why Louis Armstrong? Obviously, coming from New Orleans, Sarovit, uh, big fan of Asian food. Uh, Cognac, French Quarter, bam, another connection. And uh, yeah, we use uh, we use a pandan, our pandan uh, liqueur. Uh, what we make in house, uh, we turning. Uh, we have a ferments uh, from last menu banana wines, and this year what we done, we we turned the banana wine to banana vinegar. So we really wanted to have the, uh-huh, that banana uh-huh. flavor back there. But it's, uh, it's, if you look at it, it's written bananas on, on the wine. So people ask, I don't like banana drinks. I was like, well you're not going to really taste banana, like it's not banana daiquiri or something, uh-huh. but it's just there just for to add acidity, acidity and yeah. we're using verjuice as well. So when we d- we are doing the flavor map and look at on those flavors, like this will work together and we didn't want to use in particular this drink citrus, you know, we didn't want to use lemon juice or lime juice, you know, like original recipe called for the lemon juice. Uh, for perspective to to just have the balance uh, between the pandan, obviously sweetness of the cognac and the uh, verjuice and vinegar and just work perfectly. The feedback for this drink is unbelievable. Every, everyone who tried it, just say that it's one of the best balanced drinks probably they try in this category. So it's actually interesting, you know, and we have on all menu, I think we have only one drink with the citrus. Uh, and people ask why you don't use citrus. It's not something like it's our concept or we really think about it, but we just end up to use less and less fresh prep. About the, the blueberry drink where I mentioned that you don't have really fresh ingredients. So we try to use dry ingredients, you know, or if you use fresh, like we use fresh, let's say juices in our milk punch, like lemon orange, obviously you need it there for flavor. But what we notice uh, less and less fresh prep, less and less berries and stuff, juices, I would try to use the juices, uh, which obviously is good for the, it's sustainable and cost effective and uh, from wastage point of view I would say is is very little and that's again you learn through the menus we have uh, the previous year drink on the menu uh, with five berry wines and there was five different berries who we were ordering in a hotel and then you notice what's happening with the berries berries looks beautiful when it's fresh and we noticed that a lot of them end up in a bin on the because they're not fresh anymore so we done this project and I collect them and obviously not just collect them obviously buy even more because you cannot just run the project on the collecting but big part of us collecting the berries from the hotel and create the five berry wine which was another ingredient in a cocktail and same with the bananas you know it's just a lot of bananas in the hotel everywhere. Yeah, so of course, and just, they go bad. And yeah, be, they yeah. go bad, and uh, you know, when they get brown, you cannot use them for display. But that's the actually best flavors when you get when you know the skin get uh, with brown dots. That's when it's really mature and get it, and it's perfect for the fermentations. You know, got mm-hmm. a lot of sugar in it, and uh, yeah. So thus we have the two wines, banana and uh, five berry wines, which uh, again, you know, try to be a little bit sustainable. Which we don't shout about it. You know, it's not just about the plastic straws which we don't use, but so try to be look at it in all way, how we can be more sustainable through the, to using the British suppliers to try to buy ingredients locally. Uh, and there is a lot of bars that are doing a good job. I mean, my favorite uh, and the concept what I like is actually Scout. Uh, what modern guys uh, were doing, you know, just buying on the markets, you know, literally even the markets closing by us cheap fruit sometimes where they're getting off but that's perfect because you're gonna use it for fermentation or something yeah you, know, you don't need it, it to look good yeah exactly you don't need to look it good and uh, sometimes the best fruit is actually it's not perfect like you look at the apples with this brown spot doesn't look good each apple got different shape but the flavor is amazing and for the cocktails why you don't need to use perfectly looking good yeah, fruit no. or vegetables or anything is that 
and try to buy it locally from the market wherever you are in the location. So uh, obviously in a hotel is more difficult to do it in this way. Smaller independent bar is much easier. Uh, but again, you know, we try to um, you know support the local communities as much we can. Yeah, there is a lot of things we need to import, but you know, just think about it. Yeah, a lot of the times when you buy, especially citrus, when you buy first-class citrus, is because it looks first class, yeah. not because it tastes first class. Yeah. You know, so you can buy second-class mm. citrus, you save a lot of money. Yeah, and and what is why as, as well to go to back to citrus? You know, is uh, uh, what we notice, especially like with the lemons and oranges, the consistency is it's very different. You know, one day you order oranges, they're super sweet, juicy. The next week you order, they are quite sour. So that's mega why, dry. Yeah. Mega dry. So that's why we decided to try to not use these juices and try to do something what is more consistent. Mm. So, as I said, just wandering on a menu mm. with, le, with the juice. What recommendations would you give to someone who, like you, perhaps is selling a lot of classic cocktails and wants to start to sell more specialty cocktails? I think the first uh, is uh, obviously to see uh, what your guests are asking for. Obviously, if, if your concept is based on classic cocktails... Stick if, to classic. Stick yeah. to classic and, uh, and to maybe twist them. No, and I'm everyone twisting classic. It's, it's been always there. Sometimes it's just good to do it in classic way, but do it create maybe atmosphere around it. You know, it's not just about the cocktails. People come to the to the bars uh, for the atmosphere as well. You can be in super easy place where you got 10 seats, you know, and you have really simple menu, but people still go there or have to keep it interesting. But uh, we had this, we have, as I said, we have a lot of uh, classic cocktail sales and we were just seeing what the people want, what they are interested in. And uh, then we try to as well twist in these classics and suddenly we actually way away from Literally, I don't call it anymore. It's twist on classic because it's no. We just said like this is similar to this drink because not everything is twist on something. Sometimes no, you just course, build yeah. something and it's like <laughs> what this would be. You know, I was like, nice. I mean, it's it's not a new category, but it's just a cocktail which yeah. there is nothing close uh-huh. to it. And uh, yeah, just uh, you need to know your ambience. You need to know the bar. You need to know what the guests asking. So it's not all about the signature cocktails, but just to have a look what is mm-hmm. the demand. You know. Have you ever thought about opening your own bar? <laughs> that's i think everyone in certain point in career f- thinking about it you know and uh, you can see a lot of uh a lot of our friends you know and a lot of uh industry legends not even legends just generally you can see there are a lot of people opening their own thing yeah i was thinking about it to be honest but not that deeply like okay i, I have my business plan done but everyone wants to have something on you know to do your things work for yourself you know uh but let's see uh you never know yeah, exactly. No, no. Last question to ask to everybody. If you could choose your last drink, what will last drink be? Wow. I think that would be Negroni, definitely. <laughs> you know? I'm Negroni fan. And uh, it's the drink what you can have anytime, you know. And it's classic, it's simple. And uh, you know what? Well, uh, if you ask me five or ten years ago, that would be probably a different drink. But your, your palate and uh, your preferences change, you know. I used to be always big old-fashioned and Martinez fan. Uh, but I think now, f- I think we would go for Negroni. Or even if something like Americano, but ne- Negroni definitely. It was great talking to you, Martin. Thank you very much and for Thank you very much. Thank Thanks. You. We hope you enjoyed our interview with Martin. We are unjigged underscore media on Instagram and you can follow our personal accounts at mmariotti89 for Michele, Alex J. Murphy for myself and Adrian Bassa for Adrian. Thank you for listening.